there, I'm Jolyn McCarthy and welcome to Two Question Tuesday. Each week, Two Question Tuesday answers randomly picked questions submitted by our clients. Answering this week's questions, we have with us Phil D'Angelo, Managing Director of Focus Wealth Management, and Mike Pisani, Director of Financial Planning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, John. All right, Mike, our first question is from Mike in Massachusetts. Can you tell me more about using a 529 plan as a wealth transfer tool? All right, so this is something that's becoming a little bit more prominent throughout the planning uh, spectrum where previously a lot of wealth was accumulated in different retirement accounts. And when the government changed the rules about the distribution of IRAs being passed down, not from spouses, but generationally to either kids, nieces, uncles, any, or nieces, nephews, anything like that. What happened is a lot of people shifted a little bit because you have to withdraw that asset over a 10 year window now. And they've now, people have now started pre-funding 529 plans as a method of transferring wealth generationally because you don't have these windows of distributions that cause, cause you to accelerate your tax implications as the money comes out of these particular plans. So traditionally, and this you don't get a federal tax deduction by putting the money inside of a 529 account. The, uh, the gains in the account are deferred as long as you use the funds for qualified educational purposes. The biggest benefit of this is the tax deferral on the gains and the fact that you can transfer 529 accounts intergenerationally. It really doesn't matter. There's no rule or restriction on transferring these accounts. So if one child doesn't use them, you can always transfer it to another child or a grandchild or anything along those lines. And the good thing about the 529 accounts is you still do, in most states, get a state tax deduction up to a certain amount. So that varies by state. Uh, the maximum exemption right now on the federal level is $11.7 million per person. So you can fund these pretty substantially. The maximum annual gift amount that doesn't uh, lower your lifetime exemption is $15,000 per person that you can give to any other person. But with 529 accounts, there's a rule that you can accelerate the funding. So you could put $75,000 into these at any particular time per person. So that means a uh, married couple can go up to $150,000 in putting the funds into a 529 account in any one particular calendar year which allows you to accelerate the funding of these in a certain instance. So the amount of the state tax deduction is gonna vary. You still get the tax deferral as long as you use them for qualified education purposes, but you can continuously transfer these to different individuals in the family to make sure that you're not uh, paying a penalty. The, the penalty, if you don't use it for educational purposes, is a 10% penalty on the earnings. So it's really not all that bad if it doesn't go to those uh, educational purposes, but it's a good tool to e even consider and evaluate. And in the past, me personally, I was always a little bit against overfunding 529 accounts just because you didn't want to have too much money in there. But at the same time, now because you're able to transfer them uh, amongst individuals in the family with this planning tool, it could make sense 
to do a little bit more funding relative to historical metrics. Yeah, and even, you know, grandparents, right, setting up, you know, watching if that estate tax threshold comes down substantially to, you know, three and a half million potentially, uh, that's the time to really build up these plans and create almost like a family educational quasi-endowment by using the 529 plan. Very, very good mm-hmm. planning tool, right? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Phil, next question is from John in New York. The markets pulled back last week. Would now be a good time to invest some cash? Yeah. So, you know, what you're seeing, uh, rates really fell off a cliff. The Fed kind of changed their talk a little bit um, that, you know, maybe inflation is out there. Uh, You know, I I think what you've seen through this market that uh, has been very uh, something to count on uh, for the past 18 to 24 months has been rotation. And, um, you know, first we had that growth scare, um, you know, about several months ago now where growth stocks fell off a cliff because they were afraid of higher interest rates. Now what we've seen is a value scare and rates have plummeted. Ten-year treasuries at about 1.44 this morning, you know, down from 175. Uh, and value stocks, uh, specifically financials, uh, have gotten pretty hard hit because rates have not moved ahead. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, look, uh, short term is a fool's game, but uh, you would think over the summertime into the fall, that's typically when you're seeing lighter volume in the markets as we're seeing this year. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that you probably will have better entry points than just this past week. Um, but slow and deliberate, I think if you're looking at the groups that have gotten beaten up, like again, some of the financials being down 10 to 15% from their highs, uh, that's where you can slowly uh, piece in some opportunity uh, and take advantage as, as once again, we've seen uh, this sector rotation uh, go on and on. And, and that's when you have to pick up these sectors. So be patient, uh, look for the worst hit sectors. And if they make sense, that's where it probably pays to do a little bit of nibbling. But I think we probably have the summer doldrums and you'll probably get a better entry point, you know, between now and the fall, uh, certainly. So that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, it's a really good point. Rotational markets, very healthy. I'd be a lot more concerned personally if technology and certain areas of growth and software sold off as well. There was still a lot of the periphery of the market that was positive over the course of the last week or two. And then simultaneously, I think we, recency bias is kind of filtering in where last year, nobody was going on vacation. Volumes didn't really drive up. The whole sell in May and go away adage is because people leave and they're not trading, but volumes have tailed off some here, which could impact everything. And seasonality, I think also is going to play into this because we now are no longer in that seasonal tailwind. with staring at August and September, which are two of the worst months of the year. Ironically, July is one of the best seasonally, historically. But I've said to somebody else recently, I think now is a good time to start thinking about building portfolios with idle cash as you enter the more volatile period of the year. Yep. Okay. Thank you both for answering this week's two questions. If you have a question you'd like to submit, please email us at jmccarthy at focusedwealthmgmt.com. Stay safe and we will see you next week.